Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And welcome once again to Freedom to Choose. And we are on program number 29. And we're going to call this program Down the Mountain. In case you're keeping score at home, it's number 29 on the series The Life. And we're very excited to have you with us today. This is uh, this is one uh, program I've kind of been waiting for because I don't know about you, but I, I'm an up and down kind of guy. I get way, really high highs and really low lows, you know. And uh, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Susan, would you would you open with a word of prayer, please? Yes, our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word to examine. Uh, the experiences that were recorded regarding your life and the, the lives of people that interacted with you. And we just pray now that you will direct our minds to um, think and to say those things that um, will always be truthful and uplifting um, your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're talking with the program, the context of the program, of course, is going to be a mountaintop experience, and we're going to base this program on Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. And before we get started, you know, I just said briefly that uh, that I'm a kind of guy that has real high highs and real low lows. How about you, Susan? Are you kind of I'm, even keel? I, I, or? Can, I can be, I think I'm a little bit more even keel. You're a li- little more even you, do keel? You, I don't know. What well, do you I, think? N- no, Susan is. <laughs> Susan's got a real high octane motor, and that motor's always going. But when she is down, she's down. I right, mean, but, but it's but, not, not too often. Not too often, and usually it's just because you're super tired or in a lot of pain. Right. But, uh, but, and I don't mean emotional pain. I mean physical pain. She's yeah. because of arthritis or what yeah. you know. Yeah. So whatever's going on. Whatever's going on. So, uh, but for, for the most part, me, I'm the other kind of guy. I'm either way up or way down, and and uh, caused me to think to kind of look at this, um, this program a little through a little bit different lens. You know, your your feelings because that's you know that's feelings high and low. Right. It's you know. Uh, that's emotions. your feelings, your emotions mm-hmm. is what, what gives you the highs and the lows. And really, um, if, if you understand this concept, because it takes, it, it, it takes a long time to kind of grasp it, what you know and what you feel are not connected. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. In other words, a, a, a harmless little mouse could come running into this studio right now. What would you feel, Susan? Probably f- Probably fear, I guess. Right. I mean, you would you would not want to get near the little guy. Well, right? living out in the country, I kind of you kind of get. You're but getting you're, used to it, yeah, but, but you're still, you still, yeah, it's still kind of like it's still frightening, and it's okay. just a little mouse. Yeah. Right? It, can the mouse harm you? No. 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 You you can't he can't harm you. Right. But you so you know that. Right. Yet he still invokes certain feelings. Right. You see, I know 
in my heart, I'm accepted of God. But sometimes I don't feel that way. Right. Sometimes I don't feel, quote unquote, good enough. Right. Sometimes when I make mistakes, I say I shoulda, coulda, woulda, and it brings me down and it also brings my my relationship with God into question. In your mind. In my mind. Right. It, Even though I know it shouldn't be, my feelings tell me I am. Right. So it's kind of like a cascade of events that goes inside with your brain chemistry too. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It starts to trigger, you know, and you know, the, the, the serenity or the prayer of the footprints. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you were down the most is when I carried you the most. So when we're down the most, we feel that we're most disconnected with God. Right is usually when he's carrying us through, and we're probably the most connected with him. You know, we were talking to somebody we were working with last night, and she was saying that she feels, right, and she's going through a lot of emotional pain, Mm -hmm. and she feels right now when she's going through this emotional pain that she is the most disconnected from God. In other words, he's far away as she can even imagine. But you and I both know that God is really close to her, carrying her through, helping her to deal with that emotional pain. Right. All that crying and not turning to drugs, all that crying and not turning to destructive behavior, that's the power of God helping you to deal with that pain that caused you to to go into your addiction. Right. Right? Right. Somehow, and it's a miracle that God allows us to face that pain and he's right there with us, and we don't. It doesn't feel like he's there, right? And I and I think I, I just kind of want to go back a little bit to to explore just briefly touch on the point that, um, you know, because I I sit and and it causes me pain when I see you going through the feelings that you have, and and then the questioning kind of comes in our minds, right, as to as to what's happening, and. Um, it, a lot of it, I think, has to do with our brain chemicals. It, do, it does. And, and there's not, I mean, they have medication or things to help that. Or, and, and, you know, what helps you? Schedule, yeah. having, a right, having a regular schedule, eating the, the correct foods at the right times, yep. uh, getting the exercise, getting drinking the, the water, the exercise, you know, everything. And, but, but once you start messing up with one of those factors. When I get off the schedule. Right. And so the thing is, is I think that we need to recognize whether it's us or someone we love that struggles with emotions and feelings that um, it doesn't make them less of a person. And I think it's, it's, a, it's our part to encourage somebody. Yep. As they're going through that, and to and to walk alongside them as yep. they're going through those crises, because it's during those crises that they can turn from God, mm-hmm. and um, it it's not at anybody's fault. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, um, I heard somebody say one time that um, feelings happen, right? So a lot of times we're not necessarily in control of our feelings. No, we're not directly in control over time. You know, by certain behaviors and forgiving certain people, and you know, over time you can we, mature, we can mature right, to the place where you're senile and nothing yeah, matters. Yeah, nothing bothers you anyway, <laughs> right. right? You don't have yeah. any any weird desires, right? Anyway, well, so. what's that? What's that joke about? Well, uh, I became perfect, but it was when I was, you know, well, you know, a sanctifi- sanctification via senility, exactly, right? Right. Yeah, that's, that's what we're looking forward uh, to, <laughs> yeah, right? So, but in that context, we're going to talk about right now. Remember, now, Jesus, uh, he went up to the mountain and was transfigured, and we talked about that transfiguration on the last program, about, you know, 
the glory of of God and really what that glory is, and it was kind of like when Moses said, "God, show me your glory," and God walks by him, and his goodness passed by, mm-hmm. his graciousness, his forgiveness, his love, mm-hmm. and and all of that, all those character qualities shined so bright that Moses' face glowed when he came down the hill. Right. right? It changed him it physically, changed his physical him. appearance. Right. right. And so Jesus goes to this Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transfigured, and he starts glowing, he starts radiating this, this beautiful, holy light, mm-hmm. this pure this purity of character. Right. And so now these guys, they were up there with him. They see this. And now we come down the hill. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the danger of coming down from that mount? Give me a couple of dangers that that come, you know, after the mountaintop experience. Well, for for the disciples, oh, for so... I mean, number one, you get you. If you can be so high, it's like you're you're missing something if you're not at that point again. You know what I mean? So you're like, oh, why why don't I feel so close to God now? I feel like I'm in this valley of despair. Right. So it's a letdown. Right. Right. Uh, Remember, remember the 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 view is always great from a mountaintop. Right. But the fruit is grown in the valleys. Yes. Right? Right. That's where the fruit is grown. So we we want to have a balance between the mountaintop experiences and, of course, the valley experiences where the fruit is grown. We, mm-hmm. we want to have a balance. But somehow uh, it can't have such a difference where we go from elated to depressed and elated to depressed because there's always that tendency after that after that mountaintop experience to 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 be let down right, right? that's one of them right. what what's an, what's another one uh mountaintop experience um so that people aren't as excited as you are right i mean have you ever done what happened when you first came to christ did you have a, a bit of a mountaintop experience yes uh-huh i did and was and everybody around you as excited about it as you were? No, they weren't experiencing the the things that I was experiencing. So there was there was a lack of of common experience, and so you know it's you you don't have it in common, right? Right, right. See, and remember the disciples they come down the hill and they're um, they're all charged up, mm-hmm. you know, and and it wasn't nobody was excited as they were. What about people not believing you? Uh huh. What about them not believing you? Uh huh. I remember I pulled up to, uh, I, when I got clean and sober, I was clean and sober a couple of weeks and I pulled up and a guy asked me, he said, Hey, you got any drugs? I said, no, no, I quit, man. And I started talking all about God and I'd been changed and everything. And he kind of shook his head and said, Oh, come on. That's, that's not going to last. That's not going to, you know, they don't believe you. Right. They don't believe that you've been, that something has happened. Right. That something's changed. Right. Right. Um, how about people don't want to hear it at certain times? Mm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say, you know, that's that might be good for you, but we, we don't want to hear that right now. Uh-huh. Right? Right. So ba- basically, there's all kinds of things that can happen to disconnect you from that mountaintop experience, isn't there? Right. So after that experience on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, Jesus and his disciples went down to the plain, and they're, you know, you can imagine they're, probably not saying much they're probably just like thinking of that experienced and even peter um probably thought i'd like to stay up there i wanted to stay up there and just just be in that glory right 
And um, but there was work to be done down in the valley. Mm-hmm. There's work to be done down in the, in the plain. And there were people that were already missing Jesus, Jesus, and they were already searching for him, weren't there? Right. And then an interesting thing happens at the at the foot of the mountain. There's a large number of people. Um, the disciples who hadn't gone up to the mountain, they had remained behind, and they're there. And then Jesus tells his companions to um, to don't tell any man about the vision until the sun of rise is risen from the dead. So to relate it right to the crowd would only excite their ridicule or their idle wonder, and even the nine disciples wouldn't have understood the incident until after Jesus had risen from the dead. Okay, so he tells them— So can them, you imagine yeah, yeah, you having just to see, hold that, you know, that information? Yeah, you just see Jesus transfigured, and he's glowing, and Moses and Elijah roll in, and you just see that, and then Jesus says, now hold on, don't tell anybody until— I've risen from the dead until you've what? Right. You know? Here he looked like the king of the of everything and yeah. then to say, you know. Yeah. Because they were still un, unsure of what the future held. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too because Jesus, for the last six months of his ministry, began to kind of tell them about this rising of the dead and this, the rising from the dead in this last week and stuff. But... <laughs> Every time he went there, it kind of the disciples were, you know, sad and sorrowful, and they kind of like blocked out this rising from the dead thing, and um, and so they did. Maybe they, in their hearts, they didn't believe that was going to happen. Maybe mm-hmm. they just thought, you know what, he's crossed up on this, he's not going to die, you know. Right. And they were having a hard time comprehending that. Right. Um, well, when uh, they when Jesus came down. Um, he, everybody ran to meet him, and they were all excited to see him, but he could tell that something was going on. Mm-hmm. Right? He could see that they were um, had great concern mm-hmm. and that they were troubled mm-hmm. because um, the, a, a circumstance had just happened that caused them bitter disappointment and humiliation. Right. Remember, they were waiting at the foot of the mountain, and a father had brought the son to the disciples to be delivered from a, deaf, from a dumb spirit that was tormenting him. You know, and and of course they had give them they'd been given authority over unclean spirits, but they, um, you know, when they went they were sent out to preach, they'd been given the authority over unclean spirits. Right, and so this time, you know, the man brings his son, right. and they go to you know they 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 had done it in the past. Right. They had been able to cast out demons. Right, and this time they they demand that the demon leaves the child and the demon just mocks them. Right. So they're 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 kind of quote unquote tripping because they don't know what what is going on. They don't know what's going right, on. Right, because we were given this power to do this and now this demon isn't you know isn't like He's not obeying. Right. And, and so once again so you, you have the two disciples coming down with Jesus or the three disciples coming down with Jesus from the mountain. Mm-hmm. They had the mountaintop experience while the other disciples or having trouble casting a demon out, so they come down into this whole total different experience, right? Right, right? where there's, you know, up on the mountain, there's Did, no doubt, there's, there's joy and, and everything, and then and they come back to disappointment. They come down and to disappointment in the valley, right? Right. So the disciples they're un- unable to account for that defeat, and they felt that they were bringing dishonor upon themselves and upon Jesus and the crowd and the scribes. Um, they were beginning to humiliate them. Right. They were they were pressing around the disciples and asking them questions and seeking to prove that they were um that they um that and saying that Jesus and they were deceivers. Right. 
And so the rabbis really jumped in, and they said it was an evil spirit that neither the disciples or Christ could conquer. And the people were inclined to, to um, side with the scribes. Isn't it funny how so many times we, as a, I think as a human race, we're willing to go to the, to the, um, not to the hopeful side, but to the, right. you know, to the side that's, that's unbelieving and untrusting. Yeah, they could have brought 100 people and cast out 100 demons. Right. But th- now there's one right. that they're struggling with, and boom, the, the spotlight is on that. The ridicule starts. But then suddenly the accusations cease, and Jesus and the three disciples come approaching, and the people turn to meet him. The night of being up there in that holy atmosphere had left its trace upon Jesus and his disciples. And I can imagine just like when Peter cut the ear off of that one guy and they all fell back Mm -hmm. because Jesus, you know, whatever it was he did, and they all fell back as dead man. Well, I imagine coming down that hill, the disciples and Jesus had a whole different uh, well, I think it know, was similar to the experience that they that the in the Old Testament when Moses came down right from, from and he had to with, veil his face right and the, so the scribe everybody drew back in fear and they welcomed Jesus, um, but Jesus knows exactly what is going on and he says to him, "Why do you question with me? What question do you have with me?" Yeah, what, uh, yeah, and and why would you, does Jesus know? Absolutely. Does he, he knows exactly what's going on, right? Right. So does God ever role play? Yes. He role plays all the time. He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And he knew exactly where Adam was. He well, was trying to get Adam to realize where he was at. Exactly. Right. Woman, where are your accusers? Right. Jesus watched him walk off. Mm-hmm. Jesus knew they weren't there. Right. Woman, where are your accusers? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So God always, he constantly role plays. Mm-hmm. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then let's Nicodemus try to figure it out. Right? right? So, so God is in a constant teaching mode with us. Mm-hmm. It's just the question is, are we in a learning mode? Right. Right? Right. So everyone's silent, right? Everyone's hushed. And now the father makes his way through the crowd and falling at the feet of Jesus, he pours out the story. Right. Of his disappointment about his son right. that they can't cast the demon out, right. and he's being and everybody's being humiliated because he can't. Right, he said, "Master, I've brought my son to you, which has a spirit, and wherever I take him, he this the spirit is tearing at him." And I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they couldn't cast out the demon. So Jesus looks around, and he looks at the. Everybody that's confused because the disciples and everybody was able to do it with everybody but this one, and he says, uh, and he could read, you know, he could read the unbelief, and he could read, uh, he was sympathetic with the Father, and he says to everyone in the in the in the general area, "Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you?" Right, and then he asked that he asked the Father. He said. Uh, bring your son to me. And the boy was brought, and as Jesus looked at him, the evil spirit cast him onto the ground in convulsions of agony, and he laid wallowing and foaming and screaming. And here you go. The prince of life and the prince of the powers of darkness meet on the field of battle. Christ, in fulfillment of his, his mission to preach deliverance to the captives and set at liberty, liberty them that are bruised, and Satan... 
seeking to hold his victim under his control. Wow, that is a real contrast, isn't it? That's a real contrast. You have, and I mean, imagine the unseen beings, angels of light and angels of darkness all watching the conflict, right? Right. And for a moment, Jesus does a little more role-playing. He, he, he permits the evil to, spirit, to display its power so that everyone there would comprehend the deliverance that was about to happen. Right, and everybody's looking on, and the, everybody's, you know, the Father is in agony watching this going, go on, and Jesus asked, how long is it ago that this came to him? And the Father told him of many long years of suffering, and then said that he could not endure any more, and if he could do anything to have compassion on them. Mm-hmm. Have compassion on them. Right. If thou canst believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. The Father casts himself upon Christ's mercy, and with the cry, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And then Jesus turns to the suffering boy and says, uh, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you to come out of him and enter no more into him. And there's a cry, an agonized struggle, and the demon is passing and its passing seems to be, rip the life from his victim. Right. So he lays there dead, motionless, or appears to be dead, motionless, and everybody's whispering he's dead. But Jesus takes him by the hand and lifting him up, he's in perfect soundness of mind and body. So isn't that a mountaintop experience, that, uh, right, just, to be able to experience that, even though they had kind of like a, the disciples were disappointed, the ones that were you know trying to, to, to get the demon out, that yeah. was... You know, their ability to see the power that Jesus can have um, over when given permission to get evil out of someone's life. Exactly. I mean, isn't it? Remember the the boat and how they are saying we're about to perish? Right. Well, I wonder how they felt when they couldn't cast this demon out and they're, they're being ridiculed and they're probably thinking we're about to perish. And Jesus lets it go to the last moment and mm-hmm. then he performs and boom. Everything changes. Right. Did that not happen in your life? Absolutely. Was it not the last? Were you not all done? I was all done. I was all done too. Yeah. He waits till the last moment because then we can well, finally listen. And I think he waits till, uh, you know, it's our last moment when we believe, you know, that it's our last <laughs> our moment. Last you moment, know what I mean? Says, because people will stop and they'll listen to God along their path. But when you're stubborn and. Yeah, when you're hard headed like we are. Exactly. Yeah. It takes a long time for Jesus to actually. You know, reach reach the heart. So, so once again, God is right on time. He gives everybody what they need. And in this situation, He comes down from the mountain top and He goes into the valley. How much fruit do you think was grown in that experience when He cast, when everybody was ridiculing Him, and the disciples felt left and lost, and they're standing there paralyzed. And Jesus comes down, and the boy is lying there lifeless after he says, come out of him, and everybody's wondering what's going to happen next. And he reaches down, he grabs his hand, and the kid is alive and in perfect soundness of mind. Right. And I, I just, can you imagine? Well, and I think that that's the desire that God has for every human Every being. one of us. He wants to restore us back into harmony with the way the universe operates. With his principles. With his Absolutely. principles of life. Right. 
You know, this little boy was out of harmony. We don't know what the demon was. We don't know, like we were talking earlier, whether it was epilepsy. We have no idea what the condition was. Right. But God's healing balm, when he is in, when you let him in, he's a healer. And he restored him back to his original design, and the boy was healthy and in sound mind. And I think that's just a wonderful story, and it has such a spiritual application, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, folks, we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty soon. Uh, you can get a hold of us at www.justasiamministries.com. Uh, or we have some workbooks. We have and workbooks. Some we have resources mm-hmm. we can send out to you or give us a call, 916 645 1297. And shoot us a call. Susan will ship out anything you need. Absolutely. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could it be this simple, the way out of your prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.